You're listening to a sermon podcast from Church of the Gates, where we desire for real people to meet the real Jesus and experience real change. We pray that God might use the next few minutes to draw you closer to Him. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 2. And just for context, because I think it's helpful, over the last four or five uh, sermons, we have been kind of rattling through topics and ideas that have been on my heart for our church. And so today is the last of that series. Uh, for the next two weeks, I'll be gone in South Korea teaching the book of Psalms. Uh, and so I'd ask that you pray for me and the other members of the team who are going. But uh, Cato Gardner, one of the elders, and Danny Kugelberg, our pastor of worship, will, will teach through forgiveness. And so if you've ever forgiven someone or needed forgiveness or need to forgive somebody or receive forgiveness, like you should come for these two weeks. It's going to be powerful. And then in March, we're going to start a new series called Men and Women and the Mission of God, where we look at how God has created men and women uh, with specific gifts and, and, uh, and responsibilities for the gospel proclamation. And so we're excited to share with you all that God has to say about that. And that series will last for, you know, eight or nine weeks. And then we'll get back into the Old Testament and finish every book for all of life. So we're, we're headed that way in that direction. I'd ask, would you, today, would you pray with me? And would you bow your heads and pray with me as we give this time to the Lord? God, we are grateful every morning that your mercies are new that we don't get uh, leftover mercy, that we don't get uh, bottom shelf mercy, but we get the good stuff and it's new every morning in Jesus. God, we are grateful. And that as your children, we don't have to wonder what you want, that you have made clear in your word who you are. You've made clear in your word who we are. You've made clear in your word your love for us. And God, the salvation that's offered in Christ so God, as we open your word today, would we not do so flippantly or familiarly? God, that we would, we would love your word. We would treasure it. It'd be on our hearts and on our lips. We might be changed for your glory and our joy. Amen. Every winter, uh, second or third week in December, my wife will, will spend uh, 11 months saving up uh, money and so we'll uh, we get away husband as a husband wife like once a year and we go for two two days and it's usually up at uh, the lodge at Whitefish Lake and it's always around Christmas time because it's like a Hallmark movie there uh, where everything is dreamy and beautiful and uh, the lodge is decked out in all kinds of garland and lights and everyone's like Santa Claus there and wants to you know make you feel welcomed and you walk in and, and, and everyone is so glad you're there and they grab your luggage and honestly I love any hotel because I don't have to do anything. They basically do everything for me. I love Motel 6 too. I'm an easy guy to please. But I, I like in particular the people at the Whitefish Lodge, they're, they're so hospitable. Like they can't wait to make you feel welcomed and loved and seen. They can't wait to care for you. They can't wait to charge you $10 for a can of cashews about this big. Like can't wait to sell you artesian tap water, whatever. Like their whole job is aimed at making their space be your space, right? So that you can just decompress and enjoy uh, that time. Like massive effort goes into that to make my wife and I feel seen and relaxed and uh, important. You know, I think of like, as we think about the Christian life, it's interesting, the New Testament, the New Testament 
has a lot to say about how our disposition should be after Christ. And actually, it's interesting. I think the service industry, hotels in particular, and uh, have have kind of like kind of like there are a lot of similarities that they are so other focused. When we see the New Testament and, and all that Paul teaches about uh, what the Christian life is, there's like 59 one another's. How we are supposed to be about each other and how our focus is to be uh, for others and outwardly. And so what I want to do today is I want to spend a little bit of time, we're going to read all of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It's not going to be on the screens. So you're going to need your copies of God's word, whether it's on your phone or in the seat backs in front of you. I want to kind of walk through as Paul uh, displays what salvation is. And then there's one last verse, uh, Ephesians 2, 10, and that describes what God has planned for us after salvation. These good works. I want to zero in a little bit on, on, uh, on verse 10. I want to give a, a few observations of it. Um, and then I want to, like, I want to, I want to help us discern. As Paul says, there are these good works for us. I want to help us try to understand what that means. Because uh, I, I think often we overcomplicate the Christian life. We say, you know, Paul, uh, God has set beforehand these good works. And we go, what are good works? And Paul says, I don't know, read your scriptures. Like there's a ton of good works. Uh, love your neighbor, but what's a neighbor? Like we just, we're just that way. And so I want to help us understand what Paul uh, is saying there. Uh, and then I want to, at the very end, I want to look at Matthew 25. And I want to paint a vision for you of judgment day before the Lord that, that I hope will be encouraging and inspiring and move you towards good works in your life. And so that's what we're gonna do here over the next few minutes. So Ephesians chapter two, we'll start there. We'll read all 10 verses, and then we'll read uh, verse 10 again on its own. Uh, and your copies of God's word on your phones or in front of you, Ephesians two, verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we're by nature, Paul says, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he, Jesus, might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 10, one more time. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Chapter 2. Here's who you were. You were, by nature, he says, children of wrath. That's a way to describe that, that we were hopeless, that we were, in Colossians, he said, we're alienated and hostile in mind, that we, uh, we were not 
Uh, prior to Christ, we were not neutral towards God, that we actually hated him and rebelled against him, that we wanted to live our own life, that we wanted to live outside of the accountability of God. He says, he says all of these things are true and you followed the prince, the power of the darkness. You followed Satan, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, while we were still sinners, saved us. That is the message of Ephesians chapter two. And he ends with this passage, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So what I wanna do is I wanna give four key observations, four key observations from just this one verse, and then I'm gonna give us three ways that we can identify and discern what a good work is in our life. Four key observations quickly. One, we are specifically formed by God in Christ. Two, we are created for good works. Three, our good works were planned for us by God. And four, our lives are meant to be characterized by these good works. One at a time, we are specifically formed by God. Paul says, for we are his workmanship. You've been saved by grace, not that anyone can boast, for, or the reason, for you are his, you've been formed by God. You've been created by God. We are his workmanship, the Greek word there. Uh, and other translations bring it out better than the, the ESV. It's masterpiece. It really is work of art. Uh, it, is the, it is the Greek word to describe a closeness, a nearness, a preciseness with this creation that God looked at us, broken, uh, hostile in mind, uh, enemies of him. And we were created. We became his masterpiece. So, Think more uh, Mona Lisa. Think more um, Sistine Chapel. When he says, you've been formed by God. Well, one of the questions is, well, what is workmanship here? This isn't in reference to our physical bodies. He's saying, listen, what you were was dead and without hope. You were headed into a Christless eternity. But God grabbed you, molded you, and made you and saved you into something beautiful, ornate, personal and, and full of beauty. That his workmanship is your salvation. His workmanship is that he worked into you salvation when you couldn't work it for yourself. His workmanship is taking people who were headed to a crisis eternity, redeeming them, making them new in Christ. We are saved and his alone, especially formed by God. For we are his workmanship. His workmanship. We are owned by him and created by him. Like, you don't stand in front of the Mona Lisa. No one's ever done this seriously. No one's ever stood in front of the Mona Lisa and said, man, that painting really put itself together really nicely. That was a really impressive painting of itself that it painted. No, it doesn't happen. It, it is a reference that the, the painter, the designer, made something majestic and beautiful, and that's what's happened here. Uh, the second observation is that we are created in Christ for good works. Paul's talking about salvation, how all of it happens in Christ uh, for good works. Now, now this phrasing is so, it's, there's a ton here. We're just gonna, we're kind of gonna skate over the top of it. Here's what's happening. In every other religion in history, every other religion in history, Paul's time, our time, 
says you need to do something in order to earn God's acceptance. Your good works need to somehow make their way to God in order to please him. And so you need to sacrifice a bull or you need to give this or do that. You need to keep doing it in order to keep acceptance. What Paul says is in Christ, you've been created new. That that word uh, created has to do with, it actually refers back to creation, the creation narrative in Genesis. It's the same, same idea. You've been created anew and that creation spawns new good works. So Christianity says, listen, There's good works apart. There's good works here that are a part of our religion. But none of your good works can make you more acceptable to God. Where every other religion, every other worldly thought says, man, if I can just get my stuff together, God will love me enough. And if he loves me enough, I can stay there. And then I gotta strive to stay there. And Paul's saying, no, you've been created in Christ. All the work's been done so that out of your new life, out of salvation, you have new work to do. Third observation is our good works were planned for by God. Paul says, which God prepared beforehand. If we could just draw a map, here is eternity. This is eternity over here. This is all of time. And so in chapter one, uh, Paul says over here in eternity, God, look, before the eternity, before the creation was formed, he looked forward and he chose those he would save. And so Paul is continuing his thought here in chapter two, where he says, he not only chose those who would come to know him, but also those who would come to know him, he would give them a way to live that was new, distinct, and good. In other words, not only were we saved, but we were saved to a new life. Save two, a new way of thinking. Save two, new good works. Fourth observation is our lives were meant to be characterized by these good works. Our lives are meant to be characterized, not punctuated, but characterized. Punctuated would be every once in a while, I do a good work. Characterized, what Paul is saying is that and he says it this way, that we should walk in them. Walk in them is a Greek word that just means to live your life. It's, it's the word, it literally just means to walk around. It's as if Paul is saying that before Christ, you had nasty, ratty sandals that smelled. But in Christ, you put on new shoes that bring new good works, and so you walk around in them. That our life is to be characterized by the character of Jesus, not just punctuated on Sundays, for whatever purpose, that our lives are meant to, be, meant to be seen as consistent. So God saves us. He creates us new. He's designed a new life for us to live, and our job then is to leverage all of our wisdom and discernment then to those good works. So one of the, like, one of the pressing questions here is, what is a good work? Because everyone here is like me. And they're like, give me a list. I want to do all the good works. I'm going to do them all. The problem is, if Paul listed 10 good works, that wouldn't be enough, right? But we would feel really good about doing 10 good works. If you read your Bible, you go to church, you share the gospel once a year, here are the good works all Christians do. Paul doesn't label, he doesn't determine what the good works are because the good works are meant to be life for us. A pattern of life, not just things that we check off. But we are by nature, law-ish people. We love the law because it clarifies things for us. So what is a good work, Paul? They're the things that God told you beforehand. Super. Paul, what's a good work? Well, they're, they're a product of your salvation. 
Okay, so what's a good work? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you three ways in our lives you can discern and then do good works. I don't have a list for you, but I have three measurements, three, three ways or observations about life from Scripture that will help us understand what good works are and then throw ourselves after them. That if we've been saved to them and they've been planned, then our best version of our life is throwing ourselves at as many good works that flow from salvation as possible. Three ways to identify good works in our lives. Number one, the good works will reflect the character of Jesus. That is to say, if we're going to look for good works to do, the first place to look for what good, looks should, good, good works should look like, sound like, feel like, is Jesus himself. John 10, 27 says this, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. That our, our preeminent goal as believers is to become more like Christ. The first step about becoming more like Christ is to learn more about Christ. Well, where do we learn more about Christ? You can literally read his words. Like, this is what I love about the Bible is, is so much, so much of our life often seems complicated, but if we wanna know who Jesus is, do you know where we can find it? In the pages of the book he wrote. Like, this is, this is so, it's so interesting because like, we do like to overcomplicate it. I wish I had a list of things uh, that would bring me encouragement in my Christian life. Like, I don't read the New Testament. And I say that to myself. I'm always, we complicate this often. And so and Jesus says, listen, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We often think of sheep as stupid, right? Sheep are just stupid knuckleheads, right? Which is a bummer because we're the sheep. <laughs> it's a real bummer. But we're talking about other sheep, right? There's, like a, there's an honest to God shepherd in our, in our community here uh, in our church. And uh, he's got fancy sheep. I don't remember the name, but they're like good looking sheep, fancy things. And I uh, went to his farm once and he, uh, like, he's like a genuine, he's, I don't, he doesn't have a shepherd's crook, but he's a genuine shepherd. And so we're walking his land and uh, all of his fancy sheep are doing fancy sheep things in the pasture. And, uh, and he calls them over. And you know what happens? Every last one of them came over right? And he said, hey, we're going to go get something to eat. Or he said it in, the, in sheep language. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the command was, but they all ran one direction, right? And he's just musing about, about what raising sheep has taught him about being a sheep and, uh, and how important it is for us to learn to hear the shepherd's voice. Do you know what he does with sheep who, who don't listen or who rebel? He makes them jerky, into jerky. Makes them into jerky. He doesn't give them jerky. They become jerky. Why? These are the ones who don't listen to the shepherd. These are the ones who, don't, who have no desire to be part of the flock. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. We hear the voice of Jesus through reading his words. Listen, a Christian who can't discern right or wrong likely is a Christian who is not in the word of God. This is the primary text for life. This isn't about guilt. This is about reality. You will not grow unless you immerse yourself in the word of God. 
We hear the voice of Jesus through the Holy Spirit pointing us to Jesus through prayer, through conviction, through Bible reading. We hear the voice of Jesus through other Christians around us who help point us to the things of God. I had a meeting, uh, I had a meeting, and it's not happened very often, but I had a meeting with a guy recently, and he said, you know, I, I think I've heard this thing from God. And as a pastor, I don't often do this, but it was so clear to me that what he had heard and how he was basing his life was not from Jesus. It was from something he had convinced himself was true. I'm like, I'm like, you cannot follow. Like, that's not of the Lord. If you live in this way, it will bring destruction. It'll bring, it'll bring brokenness. We do not have to pretend like God has not spoken. We don't. We have his word in a bunch of different translations, a bunch of different languages. The good works that God has for us will make us look more like Jesus. And that starts by reading and finding out who Jesus is. Three ways to identify good works. Number one, read scripture, learn who Jesus is, follow him. It's the WWJD bracelet that was really popular in my, uh, in my life. Like, that's what it is. It's like, what would Jesus do here? It was a great reminder. Second thing is that good works will cost you something. Good works will cost you something. As we think about uh, discerning uh, what the good works are in our life, often, more often than not, the good works that God has for us will cost us something if we want to do it. So I, uh, I'm like a, an amateur handyman. And uh, the way it works at my house is something breaks. Uh, like about three years ago, four years ago, we had a, a, our upstairs bathroom leaked into our downstairs bathroom. And so I, we had to take drywall out. And that's always the fun part. Uh, and then we had to put drywall back in. That's not the fun part. And then you had tape and mud it. And so here's my thing. I'm not experienced enough to count the cost of these projects. And so I usually get myself in way over my head pretty quickly because I'm not that tall when it comes to these things. Like it's way over my head. And so there's this project my wife, uh, who's out of town this weekend, has wanted done for a long time. Four years, actually. Uh, And so Friday, I'm like, she's out of town. This would be a great Valentine's Day gift. Welcome to 42. Uh, And I start working on it, and I realize pretty quickly I'm in over my head right away. And I'm looking at my time. I'm looking at what I have to do, and I realize there's no chance. She comes home tomorrow night. There's no chance I'm going to be able to do this because I still have to preach, and we've got this vision meeting, and I have my two boys, and my youngest is not exactly like sit there and do nothing all day. And so, like, like I've, got, I've got these things, and so I need, I need to call in air support. And so I call a friend, and this friend comes over yesterday and paints the whole thing, right? And, and, you know, and does that, and like she's just singing, and I'm like, this would have taken me a year. Like I would have painted half of, like this would have taken me forever. And it, like, I say all that to say this, listen. The cost for me was uh, dust in the lungs from drywall, uh, hours of frustration, uh, humility, and having to call someone to help, right? Now look, I, I could have done nothing, could have done nothing, just left it, and nothing changes, Right? My wife's fine, I'm fine, but it cost me something because the reward of serving her, the possibility of getting this thing done, is worth it. For us, the words of Jesus help align our hearts and minds with this. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That these good works, if we're following Christ, 
are not gonna look less sacrificial than they were to him. That our life, if we're gonna follow him, is gonna require more of our money, more of our time, more of our will, more of our free time, more of our vacation, more of our family. Like, it's just gonna cost us. These good works that God has pointed for us are costly because the results are eternal. Results are eternal. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice, but it's designed to be willing. He says, take up your cross and follow me. The picture we envision is Jesus with a cattle prod behind us, pick up the cross. <laughs> Get, let's go, it's gonna be awful. The call is that we trust him enough that we're willing to pick up our lives and our cross and trust him with outcomes we can't see, with inconveniences that take money, time, effort, relationship, whatever it is. The good works that God has will likely cost us something, which honestly is why we avoid it anyway. It may be that knock on your door at home at like 8 p.m. after the kids are in bed, you put on your pajamas, and your bed's super warm, and you're headed to like sleep town. And it's that neighbor who will not cut his grass. It'll be, it'll be that hard to like coworker in the break room who you avoid, who you don't make eye contact with. He says, listen, I got this thing and I need someone to talk to. It'll be that other dad in the stands at the Little League game who berates everybody. It'll be that classroom next to you. It'll be your never clean the dishes roommate. It'll be that unethical boss in a meeting. We tend to think that like these good works are like varsity level works uh, for the Christian. More often, they are the mundane acts of sacrifice and serving others that Jesus is calling us to do. The good works will reflect the character of Jesus. The good works will likely cost you something. Number three, the good works will create good for someone else. Good for someone else. When we think about Jesus, like he upended, he upended what it looked like to be a leader and a savior. His whole ministry was others focused. There wasn't an ounce that he was pursuing for his own glory. In fact, he wanted to glorify the Father, wanted to glorify the Spirit, wanted to serve. He did miracles and taught and confronted Pharisees and all of this thing. Everything was focused. And really, it, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It's Mark who says, uh, it's in the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus came to serve and not to be served. Good works will create good for someone else. Cost you something. But more often than not, good works will create good for someone else. My wife is out of town. I'll just give a real prescient example. Wife's out of town, so I've got my sons here, and my youngest was here for service, and he did a great job. Uh, but we could see if he was going to be here second service, it was not going to go well for any of us. And one of my wife's friends was like, hey, it looks like Nico could use a friend. And I was like, sure, yeah, friend. A cage. Uh, <laughs> I love my son. I'm not putting him in a cage. Uh, and she looked at Nico and said, hey, can I take you to get a donut? And so she's walking with him to Albertsons right now. She did that for Nico and for me so that I could be up here and preach to you undistracted. 
Like this, this is how it works when good works are, 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 are aimed at other people. Uh, there's a, a bank manager at the church, or former bank manager, who uh, moved to Missoula and started coming to our church. And last April, our facilities guy unexpectedly passed away. And it was a shock to the system of our staff. And, you know, uh, Roger, our, our former facilities guy, he loved to be in the background and like just loved operating and, and keeping things uh, tight and clean and all of that. And like after a week of Roger not being here, it was like a frat house in the church. <laughs> Wasn't that bad. Uh, but this guy who was a bank manager was like, listen, why don't I just come here every Monday? I'm gonna take every trash out. I'm gonna vacuum every room. I'm gonna fix every toilet. I'm, just, I'm gonna be here and do this because I love Jesus. I love this church. And I know that you guys need this. Didn't ask for anything. He just, look, there is no spiritual gift of toilet scrubbing. Like, that's not a thing. But he loved Jesus enough to invest in our staff. There's a group of ladies at the church who uh, serve in our kids' ministry. And if you don't know our kids' ministry, uh, Cam and Kinsey Drapes are the directors of kids' ministry. And if you, if you know one thing about kids' ministry is this, often people call out. And so it's pretty rare that Cam and Kinsey will be able to come in service together. And so there is a group of ladies who uh, have kind of made it their, their, their un, unstated goal to make this more possible for Cam and Kinsey. And so they, they don't have a lot of blackout dates. Uh, they, they serve as much as possible so that Cam and Kinsey can be here and be fed. But there's, like, they love a marriage in the church enough to sacrifice Sundays with their families so that there can be uh, a member of my staff who gets Sundays with theirs. There are these uh, three other brothers at church. Uh, and these guys are like the goofiest dudes you'll ever meet. And they're self-effacing and they don't take themselves very seriously. But they are like, I, I think when we get to heaven, they're the ones who are going to wire all the LED lights in heaven. <laughs> uh, they are, like, the, the love wall when you go out there, they basically fabricated that whole thing. And there's no knowledge. They're not willing to, uh, to like, we, the fact that we have cameras and the way that we do, like, they basically ha have put together their skills and giftings and serve the church. Why? Why? Because they love doing it, but they love Jesus and love you all. You think about this, you know. The good works will create good for someone else. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says this, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good for everyone, especially to the household of faith. Why is it important, Paul says, to the household of faith here? Like why does he say, listen, do good to everyone, but for the people who are in the church of God, minister to them. Why, like, what Paul is saying is our spiritual growth, your spiritual growth, my spiritual growth, is related to the service of others. And other spiritual growth is related to your service. That Paul in Ephesians 4 talks about how the body builds itself up so it can function well. And what Paul is saying here is like, listen, if we do not love one another, if we don't have a focus on, on loving and caring and living out the one another's of scripture, not only will we miss out on that kind of love, but our body, the church won't function. And so he says, listen, give yourself over to purposeful love of the church. How many of us this morning were welcomed by a greeter somewhere? How many of us read the lyrics from the screen? How many of us heard the guitar? 
How many of us dropped our kids off at kids' ministry? How many of us enjoyed the coffee? I mean, drank the coffee? How many of us drank the coffee today? My point is like, listen, good works promote the good of someone else. So much of what happens here on Sunday morning is because people give of their time in order to make these moments possible. That you could sing, that you could hear the gospel, that you could be encouraged, that your kids could, could hear the gospel preached, that they could have a faith that grows up. The good works that God has set for us often are sacrificial and often are others focused. So we think about how do we discern this? How do we, how do we find these good works? One, we wanna follow Jesus, right? We wanna read his word, wanna know his character, all of that. Wanna look at the opportunities that God is asking us, likely to give up something. It could be small, time, money, effort, reputation, whatever it is, to enter into a relationship, to enter into a good work, a good work that has created the good for someone else. Matthew 25 Turn to Matthew 25 in your copies of God's word. I wanna, I wanna come to a landing here. Matthew 25. As you're turning there, I, I love what Galatians, what Paul says to the Galatians, who are a scattered, uh, ragtag group of Christians who have been pushed out of their homes. They're in a foreign land and they're away from all their support systems and all of that. And he says, listen, do not grow weary of doing good. And some of you have heard this sermon and you're exhausted from doing good. He said, I've done it. I don't see any results and it's exhausting and it's continually costly. You don't know what it's like to do good for my husband, for my wife, for my kids, for my family member. I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and they still hate Jesus and I don't know about their soul. I'm weary of doing good. He says, do not grow weary of doing good. Why? Because in due time, you'll reap a harvest. One for yourself, that the doing of good works changes us. The faithfulness of that changes us. And in the end, the good works are not wasted on those that we do them on, whether we see the outcome or not. And so I just say this, like, don't grow weary of doing good. Some of you are tired and exhausted. The words of Jesus via Paul, do not grow weary of doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest. Matthew 25, uh, in your copies of God's word, it says the final judgment. I mean, this is, this is the culminating moment where all of humanity stands before Jesus and, uh, and he separates uh, those to the right, the believers, and then those to the left, those who will spend an eternity separated from God in hell and those who will spend an eternity with God. And, and this is the interaction. Verse 31, uh, in your copies of God's word, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This is a picture of Jesus on the throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep who are not stupid, by the way, and from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, this is the king, King Jesus speaking to those who believed, who trusted, who gave their life to him. Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we sing you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger 
and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And who do we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did to me. What an unexpected blessing on judgment day. Think about this. So much of our lives will not matter five years from now. So much of our lives, the decisions we make, so much of what we do at work won't matter three weeks from now. You know what happens when you retire from your job? They replace you. Like the next day, Bill Belichick, winningest Super Bowl coach of all time, maybe the greatest coach of all time, retired. 24 hours later, they replaced him. Good works have eternal impact. All of your money will eventually be gone and be spent. Your memory will fade. Your great-grandkids may know you, but that's going to pass with the next generation. And so I want to make sure what I'm saying. I, I want, you may say, like, what are you saying? Are you, are, <laughs> like, are you saying that our lives don't matter? No, quite the opposite. I'm saying they matter deeply. I'm saying if we pour ourselves into meaning and purpose uh, in people or in things or in job or in reputation, all of those turn to ash. And yet, yet there is this thing that we can do that on, that on judgment day comes back from the lips of Jesus by way of blessing to those who did good works. And so there will be a moment where all of those who will go to church at the gates, who believe in Jesus, we will stand before our creator and he will look at us and he will say, thank you for loving me when I was sick. I couldn't do anything for myself. Thank you for inviting me into your home. I didn't have a family. Thank you for playing board games with me. I didn't have any friends. Thank you for praying with me every night before bed. I learned about God's love there. Thank you for bringing me a meal. I was really hungry. Thank you for offering me your winter coat. It was really cold. And we will stand there just like this says and go, but we didn't give you a meal. We didn't give you a coat. We invite you into our house and he will say to us what this says, truly I say to you, you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. Your good works have eternal value. This is the whole crux of the matter. That if we think these good works are flippant things that we do for moral hope, we've missed the boat. But our good works are a mechanism to bring God's redemption down to those who need it in the church and outside of the church. Almost nothing else you could give your life to will echo in eternity. Actually, nothing else will. How much greater could your life be in purpose and in fulfillment to give of your time, of your money, of your minutes, of your family, of your home, to gain eternal value for souls, to gain eternal redemption for people, to gain in that moment, Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for serving these people. When you did that, you served me. So much of our life is self-serving. And I, I just think that's natural and normal. I don't want to make much of a comment on that to say, other than just to say, I just think it's true. So much of how we plan our lives is for us, for our security. Good works are eternal. So church, go do good works to the household of faith. You know what that looks like? Meet a need. 
listen, meet a need. Who knows what it is? Go love kids, they're teenagers. Go greet on Sunday morning. Go pray for the sick, the hurting, the downtrodden. Go make that beautifully delicious coffee. Go and do the good works, God said before you. Go and do good works to the world. Go invite people into your homes. Go shovel someone's walk. Go bring a meal to a shut-in. Go and babysit uh, for a badly needed date night. Do not overcomplicate this. Don't do it. Go and serve the Lord. When you hear of a need, just go meet it if you can. Follow the Lord in good works. Your good works are an investment in eternity for yourself and for others. Go do good works for the king, for the church, and for others. Let's pray. God, we, what a remarkable thing it is that you would look upon us, wayward as we were, imperfect as we are, and that you before time would look at us and love us and value us, not for anything we do say or are able to conjure up, but that your love is not contingent on anything we do, but it's because of your great mercy that you chose to save us. And God, that your love did not end there, that as part of your love, you would create a life that would look more like Eden, more like the Garden of Eden, where we would do good works and bring about your redemption and bring your kingdom here to earth in our families, in our workplaces. God, we just thank you for letting us be a part of what you're doing. So God, would you make us courageous? God, would you help us to hear needs? Would you help us to slow down? Would you help us to answer the door? At 8 p.m., would you help us to have that coworker conversation that hits us from nowhere? God, would you, would you make us willing to follow your son, to give whatever it takes, to serve others in a way that brings your redemption to bear on humanity? God, we ask that you would do these things in our life for your glory and our joy. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon podcast from Church of the Gates. For more information about our church or to connect with us about what you've just heard, please visit churchinmissoula.com.